Welcome to Spread the Light, where we use the power of our own stories of living with mental illness to help dispel stigma and stereotypes, and instead spread hope and light. I'm your host, Dr. Devika Bhushan. We know each other well by now. I'm a pediatrician, a public health practitioner, a parent to a toddler, an immigrant to the US by way of India and the Philippines, and somebody with lived experience with bipolar disorder. Today, we have a very special guest in our series of resident mental health, Dr. Ade Oshinubi, a resident physician in emergency medicine and a documentary filmmaker and photographer. Her work focuses on telling the untold stories of minority populations. At the age of 16, Dr. Ade traveled to Mekele, Ethiopia to co-produce her first documentary. She then created Black Motherhood Through the Lens, about four Black women's experiences with reproductive health in the United States, which was recognized in Forbes and in PBS. She has written for The Washington Post, Teen Vogue, and Glamour magazine on topics related to health equity. She was recently named the recipient of the National Minority Quality Forum, 40 Under 40, Leader in Health Award, and the 2023 Black Health Connect 40 Under 40 Award. And earlier this year, on June 30th, 2023, Dr. Ade went public with her own mental health experiences as an intern. That was when I first learned of Dr. Ade's powerful work and vision for the world. And so I'm really, really pleased to be welcoming her to this show. Thank you for being here, Ade. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. And I'm excited to be here. Awesome. So tell us a little bit about your mental health journey and what led you to to be so public about your experiences. Thank you for that question. For me, I think my mental health journey started in high school, but I was truly cognizant of my mental health journey when I turned 25. In high school, I attended in basically all white boarding school in New England. I was very much an elite New England boarding school. That was a very challenging experience for me being one of the few Black women there. You know, I felt very much isolated, alone, kind of alienated, and I wasn't really able to put the words to those experiences, right? Experiencing racism, misogynoir especially, which is race-based violence against Black women specifically. So, you know, I knew about those experiences, was not really able to name them. Going up from there, I went to undergrad at Brown University, had a great experience there overall. There I was able to really name the experiences that I was going through as a Black woman in the United States. But then when I turned 25, you know, I think a lot of people can relate to this, you know, quarter century, I had accomplished a lot that I was grateful for, but there were still things that I felt like I hadn't accomplished yet, especially in terms of my personal life, which was really challenging for me. And so when I was 25 and feeling, you know, those feelings of anxiety, even depression, you know, that's when I went out to seek a therapist um, who I've been working with for the past two years, which has been a really great experience. Uh, she's a Black woman. She's a Nigerian woman. And I was able to really talk about my experiences in boarding school, even my experience prior to boarding school, because I was also in a predominantly white uh, private school before going to boarding school, um, and start to work through those issues. And I would say some of the experiences I had in medical school and then obviously the residency, you know, made my mental health uh, worse for sure, which I can get into uh, later in the interview. So high school is when I started really grappling with those issues, but 25 was when I really started, okay, let me seek out the help um, for that. 
sounds like finding the words and the right place, the right person with whom to unpack those experiences was really meaningful for your recovery. Absolutely. And tell us a little bit, and especially for those listeners and viewers who have not been to medical school, have not been through residency, what specific factors in medical training really set us up for poorer mental health and really what your experience has been in those phases? Overall, I had a great medical school experience. You know, I was at Brown University, very much a socially conscious environment, but still there were situations that I encountered that weren't directly related to faculty or peers that were challenging, especially when it came to racial dynamics. So for example, you know, I was rotating at an outside clinic and had kind of an unfortunate experience with get being blindsided by negative feedback, which actually caused me to have to remediate the rotation, jeopardizing my application to residency, um, possibly jeopardize me being able to graduate on time. You know, luckily I was able to appeal that decision, but that created a lot of stress and anxiety because, you know, I had thought I was doing great during the rotation. And then at the end, you know, I was getting all this feedback that was so surprising. And I do feel that there was a component of race to that, but we don't have to get into that right now. But moving forward after that situation, I had a lot of anxiety about, being clinically evaluated by peers or residents or faculty, because, you know, you might think you're doing a great job and then at the end you may get discordant feedback. So I think the structure of hierarchy in the medical system can be very challenging. It can be very bureaucratic, especially as a medical student, you're kind of at the bottom in some ways. And so that can be challenging. That can definitely take a toll on your mental health when you're trying to do well on clinical rotations waking up early or seeing patients, but then having to go back to study. Uh, so that's one aspect of medical school that can be challenging, let alone the USMLE boarding exam, step one, step two, and then moving on to residency. The list is very long, starting from sleep deprivation, challenging patient interactions, challenging patient situations, because again, like this is your first experience as a true provider. Unfortunately, you'll experience patient death, you'll experience poor clinical outcome, and it's just unfortunately part of the job. And then also just like the logistics of being a resident, like trying to keep in touch with friends, trying to afford basic things like food, your rent, when a lot of times you're being paid paycheck to paycheck. So those are just some of the things that can be detrimental to the mental health of medical trainees and residents. Right. In your very powerful series of tweets on June 30th of this year, one of the things you said was, Despite steps being routinely outlined and suggested to improve the lives of trainees and attendings, despite the advocacy efforts of many, residents are still severely underpaid and subjected to toxic work environments and unhealthy work hours. And, you know, that whole thread was just incredibly personal and poignant. And I'm curious if you can give us a sense of what led to that moment for you of saying, enough is enough, I need to speak out and I want to share my truth in this way? So in terms of the tweet that I made on June 30th about my experience with just feeling very overwhelmed, kind of at my breaking point uh, on my surgical ICU rotation, coupled with the unfortunate death of Dr. Nikita Mortimer, who I did not know personally, but I had people in my life who did know her personally, I thought it was just really important to vocalize my experience. You know, I'm aware that I do have a platform. I 
on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter. And I was afraid that people would look at my page or me and think, oh, she has it all together. Oh, X, Y, Z. And no, that is truly not the case. I struggled tremendously during intern year with mental health, with feelings of hopelessness, things of that nature. And I had no choice but to be honest, right? Because, you know, whether or not it changed people's personal decisions, at least people knew that they were not alone in their experience. And after sharing that tweet, and also prior to sharing that tweet, I knew a number of residents who were experiencing the same thing, the same feelings of depression, some people going on antidepressants, things of that, that nature. So I already knew that I wasn't alone. But I felt like an obligation because I had this platform and because I do health advocacy work that I would be remiss not to share it at a time point that I felt comfortable. And the response was great. I think, you know, it was encouraging that people felt the same way that maybe I could have helped someone in a similar situation. That wasn't necessarily my intent. My intent was that people, for people to see themselves in any aspects of the tweet. Again, it took me almost two months after the situation to talk about it and not because I was ashamed of it. It's just, I really wanted to process what Dr. Nikita Mortimer's death meant to me as a Black woman in residency. And I just wanted to figure out the best way and the most responsible way to address it. Yeah, that makes a, a lot of sense. Were you at all apprehensive, you know, about potential backlash or negative feedback to that moment? Overall, I really enjoyed my residency program. And I'm not just saying this because I'm on your podcast. Yeah. Um, so I didn't, I guess my apprehension was I didn't want, you know, the people that I've worked with that I've had great experiences with to feel like, you know, I was talking badly about them. Right. Because I do feel like my program has been supportive, but even with the supportive residency program, the structure of residency is just really challenging. Right. And like, that's just kind of how it is. Yeah. And so I think that was basically my apprehension. But I'm also someone who doesn't necessarily care as much of what people think, right? So I was just like, well, again, some people might feel a type of way about it. But again, I wasn't listing my program specifically. I wasn't calling anybody out. I was like, hey, this is a problem, right? Like we've lost, unfortunately, many lives to medical training, let alone, you know, attendings, all of that. This is really a matter of life or death. So at the end of the day, I'm speaking from my personal experience, right? And Whoever wants to react in a certain way can. And yeah, I'm glad that I was honest. I think, you know, when I was younger, I was very much like worried about what people thought. I was very quiet. Uh, But I think the best experiences I've had to date have come from me being honest. Obviously, you have to be responsible about it. That was kind of my thought process about sharing that on the Internet. Yeah. Amen. About being honest and speaking truth to power by really just discovering who you are and being that person authentically. That's awesome. And so it sounds like you're in a much better place. And you said it took you about two months or so to process what had happened and come to a place where you were able to give voice to it. And I'm curious if you can help us sort of understand how you picked yourself up from that place that you were in, in the surgical ICU and got to a place where you were feeling whole and healthy again. Well, I'd say I'm still like in a process of recovering, right? Like I wouldn't say I feel 100% back to where I was, to be honest. And I think like that is just like the mental health journey, right? Like 
as I'm sure you can relate, mental health has multiple journeys, has multiple ebbs and flows. And that's just kind of like where I'm at right now. In the surgical ICU, like after that happened, I was not able to pick myself up. I just wasn't. I had no more strength or not much else to give. And the people who picked me up were my parents at the end of the day. Like those were the people who were able to pick me up in that moment and the moments leading up after that. And I'm lucky enough to have had that support system. Like a lot of people don't necessarily have that. But yeah, I still think like residency is really challenging. Burnout is very real. You know, I wish I had like a prettier package to give you. It's just, I'm still struggling to be honest with you. It's real and I appreciate it. And that moment where you talked about you know, being on the phone with your mom and breaking down and your parents immediately at 9 p.m. getting in the car and getting themselves to you physically to help support you. I mean, it's just such a beautiful thing that you have such important and caring humans who are your parents. Yeah, super blessed, super blessed for sure. You know, I'll tell you very candidly, like some of my most dark mental health moments were also in residency and in, in medical school. And you know, I've always, since leaving home at 18, I've always been oceans apart from my own family and my parents. You know, they were in the Philippines initially and then um, now live in India. But they would, when I was in crisis, they would just, one of them would get on a flight and they would just be with me for the weeks that it would take sometimes to to restabilize. And I completely empathize with that, you know, statement that you made that it is a journey and it, you know, there's so many layers to it and it takes a long time sometimes to feel like we're a hundred percent back. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry to hear that you're not quite there yet. Um, my heart goes out to you because I know how hard that place can be. Mm -hmm. I appreciate that. Thank you. But yeah, it's just me being honest. So. I appreciate it. Some of these questions may apply to your life right now less than others. So feel free to let me know what resonates and what you'd like to move away from. But one question I'd love to pose to you is, as you look back at kind of that worst moment in your own mental health journey, is there a piece of advice or something that you would want to say to that person in that moment as you look back? Mm, that's a good question. I would say there are things to look forward to, right? Like not necessarily like, oh, it gets better, but like there are things that you can look forward to. Yeah. I love that. And as you're thinking about the totality of your journey, how do you feel like stigma has intersected with your mental health? That's a good question. So for me, I grew up as the child of Nigerian immigrants. I'm sure you can kind of relate to, I know you yourself are an immigrant. We did talk about mental health for sure. But like I grew up in the church. Luckily, the church that I went to did talk about mental health too. But I still think like in some ways you kind of internalize those messagings. Like, you know, if you just pray about it, you know, all of those different things. But, you know, my mom is a physician at the end of the day. So <laughs> she recognizes that some people like need to be on medication. Some people need therapy, all of those things. So, but I still think in some ways, like I probably internalize some messaging from the church um about mental health and you know if you just do xyz thing you'll get out of depression and all of that which doesn't always work for people so yeah right and how did you get to a place where you were able to let go of some of those beliefs or you know even self-stigma around those beliefs i think it was a super gradual process because for me i wasn't necessarily 
Like I was aware that those stigmas existed in the church, but in terms of my own personal experience, I wasn't sitting here being like, oh, like I'm aware of how growing up in the church has affected me addressing my mental health, right? Like it was very subtle because again, like I, I grew up in a healthy church environment, grew up in a healthy home, but I still think that messaging is subtle. And so I think like over the past two years, especially my uh, therapist is actually Christian. That was my choice. But working through that over the past two years, you know, asking the tough questions, having the, like those conversations, because I do think like part of my mental health journey has been navigating my faith as well. I think those barriers kind of came down a bit. But I still just like think, again, socialization is tough. I mean, I'm 27, 27 years of being socialized. It takes a lot of undoing. It takes a lot of work. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And for all of us, it's sort of a lifelong journey. You catch yourself in moments. I mean, I'm 37, right? And and sometimes I'll even catch myself in moments falling back on an old belief that sort of is as core to my identity as, you know, my nationality, right? And yeah, unpacking and, and uncovering and then relearning those core beliefs, like it takes a lifetime of work, really. As you're thinking about mental health kind of in general or for yourself, is there a specific myth that you think is out there that you'd like to bust? So I wouldn't say that this is a myth per se, but I think this is kind of an approach to mental health, especially like in Christian communities, not like coming for anyone, but that kind of bothers me a bit. It's just like, you know, this idea of like toxic positivity, like just things, saying things like it always gets better and all of that. Luckily, like no one has really said that to me as I've been, you know, struggling over the past couple of years. But I think, I don't know if you've been on Instagram, you'll like see those little like squares and there'll be a quote and it'll be like, one day it'll all make sense. Or you know what I mean? Like those types of things that people say to like make you feel better. <laughs> I have a personal with those because it's like at the end of the day like some things don't make sense like we're not in my opinion we're not put on this earth to like be all-knowing sometimes it just like actually doesn't get better in certain ways or it may improve in ways that you don't expect right or better may look different than you expect it right I just think like those little trick phrases that I feel like people say to make people feel better if they're going through a tough time are actually not helpful. Not necessarily a myth, but kind of a trend that I've seen over the past couple of years, you know, obviously on social media, that kind of grinds my gears. So, yeah. Yeah. No, for sure. There's a lot of toxic positivity out there. And like you said, some things just aren't meant to happen. and They aren't for the best. Um, absolutely. Thank you for calling that out. <laughs> so, you know, as you're looking day to day, You've talked about your relationship with your parents and um, you're talked about renegotiating your relationship with your faith and about your therapist being this really prominent person for you for the last two years. Are there other kind of either day to day or more of these kind of momentous tools um, that you call upon to feel stable or to feel better? Still honestly working on that, to be honest. I think before one of my ways to kind of get away from how I was feeling was to wrap myself up in being productive, producing all those things, which it's nice to be productive, but it's not great when you're doing it as a coping mechanism. So I think right now I'm trying to better listen to what I want, what my body needs. Maybe today I'm not working on this extracurricular activity. Maybe I'm just sitting and watching TV. 
I do think exercise is great, but just like as a black woman with changing my hair regularly, like exercise really can mess up my hair. And so I haven't really been exercising over the past couple of months, but when I was, I do feel like it made an impact on my mental health in a positive way for sure. I think again, healthy eating is key. Something that I'm still working with again, very much a work in progress, but like trying to make these large changes as a resident is just it's just hard to be honest. Totally. Yeah, it's kind, of, kind of where I'm at. You know, I wish I could tell you, like, I have a morning routine. There's no way I could have a morning routine as an EM resident. Some days I'm working at 6 a.m. Some days I'm working at 2 p.m. Some days I'm working at midnight. It would be nice, though. <laughs> I'm sure it would really improve my mental health. I just don't have one. So, yeah, there's definitely things that, like, I think over time I hope to adopt um, and improve. But, yeah, day to day, it's just honestly survival mode. That is 100% fair, especially given that you're a second year resident and there's so little control that you have over small and large moments of your life at this moment. Yeah. Totally. And there's so much wisdom actually in what you very poetically just did share because you know that conviction of disassociating your sense of self-worth from what you do or do not do, your sense of productivity and knowing that you are valid and worthy and enough just as you are and sometimes reaching for rest and sometimes reaching for that binge watchy TV show and other times doing, you know, that extracurricular that you may have more energy for if you give yourself some time away. That's beautiful that you're able to make mental and emotional space for growth in that way right now. As we're thinking about physician mental health and resident mental health in particular, are there any other recommendations or insights that you have in that space that you might want to leave our viewers with? Recognizing how one's identity in terms of racial identity, sexual orientation, gender identity impacts how you experience residency at the end of the day. Like, as a black woman, my experience is going to be different than a white woman. It's going to be different than a black man because of misogynoir or because of my intersection, intersecting identities as a woman and as a black person. So, you know, I'm not sitting here saying my experience is worse or better. It's just a very specific experience. And so I think it's been helpful. One of my associate program directors, she's also a woman of color. You know, we talk about these things all the time. She does not necessarily share the same identities as me. But she's able to be a listening ear and, you know, be like, yeah, this is happening. You are not making this up it has been really helpful. And so I think, again, it's important to have like general policies to improve residents' mental health and wellness. Again, better pay, better hours, better resources. I mean, the list goes on. But also understanding that residency can be a very specific experience for different people, especially let's say you're partnered versus not, or you have kids versus not, right? Yeah. Thank you so much. Really important set of points. And especially about how the experience that you have in life, as well as in residency is deeply determined by who you are and your intersecting identities and the way in which people react to those identities, right? And um, the ways in which bias and discrimination show up for you in different ways. Mm -hmm. As you're looking back at your 27 years, what are you most proud of in your life so far? I am most proud of my health advocacy work and using 
documentary film or writing as a way to uh, raise awareness and work to address health disparities, especially impacting women of color through my two documentaries that I've created, through the articles I've written about like early puberty slash race-based guidelines. As I told you earlier, growing up, I was very timid, very shy. Part of me would be very, well, all of me would be very proud of the work that I have done in that area and being just a bit more unapologetic than I was before. That's awesome. Looking back at the film that you made, Black Motherhood Through the Lens, I'm curious to know whether there's a key moment or a key story that stands out that you might want to share with our viewers to help pique their interest and and help them um, get their hands on a copy of the film. So one of the women, Jamie Potter Rutledge, she is a mom of two. She's a Black woman. She experienced postpartum depression and anxiety after the birth of her first child. So she actually went on medication. She did a partial day program as well. And she talks about the stigma she felt going through this experience. She actually hid her medication from family. And then it was only until she was a bit more open about the experience she had where she learned about maybe other people in her circle who had the same experience. Depression statistically impacts one in seven women identifying folk. But I'm pretty sure that number is actually larger. She also talks about the steps she took in her second birth during COVID in 2020. The steps she took to try to prevent postpartum depression from happening again. And she talks about how like the isolation of COVID can worsen postpartum mood disorders because you're not necessarily having family stop by. Um, But for her, luckily, the postpartum experience was a lot better because she was cognizant. Uh, She did things like having a doula. People like knew the warning signs as before she was more so caught off guard. It sounds like a really powerful story and a really powerful documentary. Really can't wait to see the film, everything that comes out of it. Yeah, thank you. Um, Hoping for a premiere in April and finally getting it out to the public. This is our last question. It's a big one. What are your hopes for our collective future? I just want our collective future to continue to be kinder, to continue to be accepting, to continue to be understanding, and to continue to be empathetic. I think our collective whole has those qualities already. I do think like on the day-to-day, I've met so many great empathetic people. And so with just like the hot mess that the world currently is, just continuing to think about those principles, especially empathy, I think is really important. And I think everything else really falls into place once you just have those those characteristics. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Ade, for speaking to us today about your mental health journey, where you are today, and for being just such a light in the way that you construct your storytelling, as well as the health equity work that you're deeply invested in. We really appreciate your valuable perspectives and story and uh, presence here today. Mm